Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 83 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you are you know, uh, studying the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. And you know, for uh, any future announcements regarding the podcast, uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram at withwail, again, withwail. So with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we will talk about uh, the Battle of Hunayn. Now, the Battle of Hunayn is technically the last battle that we will talk about this season that we'll talk about in the biography of the Prophet It is the final battle that the Prophet himself participated in. There is a battle after this that is considered to be officially the last battle, but the Prophet actually was not in the battlefield. He did not participate in the battle. He led it, but from a distance he was not in the battle uh, field, uh, and that was the Battle of Tabuk. So officially the Battle of Tabuk is the final you know, battle of the Prophet while he was alive, but the Battle of Hunayn is technically the final battle that he participated in himself in the battlefield. So again, the Battle of Hunayn uh, will be the final battle that we will talk about, inshallah. And uh, facts about the Battle of Hunayn, uh, it is technically the biggest battle in the Islamic history, where, you know, in the time of the Prophet It is the biggest battle in history for the Muslims, while the Prophet was alive, uh, at least, um, and what was the cause of this battle? Now, we know that the Prophet ﷺ, you know, the, the conquest of Mecca took place. All of Quraysh, most, the overwhelming majority of Quraysh, you know, embraced Islam. Whether they were, you know, fully convinced or they were like on the fence or they were like, you know, not really that convinced. But again, they were not forced. But even though, and we talked about this, even though uh, those who were not fully convinced eventually they became very, very religious. They became strong believers because it took them time. And this happens to even today's world, right? Some people who, you know, convert to Islam because of uh, their spouses, they want to marry a Muslim or because of any other reasons. And they're not fully there yet, right? Their their intentions are not to be fully embracing Islam. But once they deal with Muslims, the, you know, that actually the true Muslims, and once they start studying about Islam little by little, they end up falling in love with Islam. And, you know, there's no surprise there. It is the religion of truth, alhamdulillah. Uh, now, the Prophet ﷺ stayed in Mecca for 19 days after the conquest. You know, all the people embracing Islam from Quraysh and all these things. So this all this whole uh, you know period of time took 19 days. Then the Muslims realized that there was an army right outside of Mecca. And that's how we ended, you know, uh, our last episode on that cliffhanger. The tribe of Thaqif, which is the main tribe of the city of Ta'if. 
the infamous city of Ta'if at the time that basically rejected the Prophet uh, uh, in a harsh way. Remember when they sent you know, their thugs and little kids to throw rocks at the Prophet in the beginning of uh, you know, the message of Islam, in the beginning of Islam, and he was bleeding. That is the tribe of Ta'if. Uh, and the Prophet ended up making dua for them instead of, you know, uh, asking the angels to the angel of the mountains to destroy them. And we talked about this whole incident. So now, when Quraysh fell, from their perspective, it fell, right? The Muslims took over. They panicked. And they also thought, all right then, it's time to take over Mecca. They wanted to be in charge of the Kaaba. They wanted to be in charge because, again, being in charge of Mecca and, and, and the Kaaba was a huge power move. It was completely a power move, political to the pagan uh, tribes. Of course, to us and to the Muslims at the time, it is completely religious to be in charge of Mecca. To have a Muslim government in Mecca is completely religious because of what? Mecca is the haram of Allah subhanahu wa Allah decreed that Mecca to become a sacred place. Kaaba is the house of Allah on earth. Now, we, we mentioned that it doesn't technically mean it's not literally the house of Allah, but it's the house of the main house of worship of Allah on earth. So it is completely religious from the Muslim perspective, but any other pagan tribe, it was a power move, a political power move that they had to take over uh, the Kaaba and Mecca. So the tribe of Thaqif started sending uh, uh, messengers to small pagan tribes that you know did not convert to Islam yet, and they were basically telling them now the Muslims are a big threat, and we have to you know take care of them because otherwise there will be no paganism in the Arabian Peninsula. If we don't end the Muslims now, while they are still in Mecca, there will be no more paganism, and they will basically diminish our religion. And because of that. All small tribes started participating and agreeing to participate and they gathered the largest pagan army in the history of the Arabian Peninsula. 20,000 men. Imagine this. That's why it is one of the biggest and it is the biggest battle in the history of the Muslims while the Prophet was alive because the Muslims were against 20,000 men. Think about that. And they all had pure hatred to the Muslims. Now, our Prophet ﷺ sent a spy to mix in with the army. Now, you have 20,000 people, right? Uh, one person that you don't recognize won't be a standout. He, will be, he was able to mix in and nobody noticed because, again, the numbers. And they're all from different tribes. So it's not like a one big tribe. They also, again, him walking around. Uh, with their army did not raise any you know suspicion so the spy came back and he told the brother about the quantity and you know the estimate the estimated quantity and he basically said that i never seen such a big gathering in in my life before then uh, and also another uh, thing is that the army of ta'if was known to be one of the best armies in the arabian peninsula they were really skilled warriors so uh, our Prophet ﷺ gathered the companions and they started, you know, discussing what they should do and they decided to go out of Mecca and meet the army there. And the new converts, they just com the people who just converted from Quraysh, they also joined the fight. Again, they're now defending. Now it's more political to those people than, uh, than it's religious. 
they wanted to defend Mecca. And actually, to prove that it was more political, pagans, the, the, the minor pagans who did not convert to Islam yet from Quraysh, they also participated in the battle. So now you see an incredible scene. You have pagans fighting alongside the Muslims to defend Mecca. Look at subhanAllah. Look how the situation changed. Muslims were persecuted in Mecca. They were kicked out of Mecca. Then Mecca and Quraysh basically were fighting the Muslims. Quraysh was, you know, fighting the Muslims, tried to kill the Muslims in Medina, tried to attack the Muslims many times. Then the Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave uh, victory to the Muslims, so they went back to Mecca. And they conquered Mecca without a fight, subhanAllah. Then now you have pagans and Muslims and no converts all united against an external enemy who wants to conquer Mecca. Wallahi, this, this is like a movie, like, like a, a saga, like a, an epic movie, subhanAllah, except again, it's not fictional. This actually happened, subhanAllah. Incredible, incredible events. Wallahi, if you just sit down and ponder and think about it for a second, it's incredible. It's an incredible, uh, you know, shift of uh, events, subhanAllah. Anyway, so now they're all united against the, uh, the the pagan army. Now, I can't call them the army of Ta'if because, again, it's not just the army of, of Ta'if. They're not just coming from Ta'if or Thaqif. They're coming from different tribes. So we're just going to call them the pagan army. Uh, so uh, the, the Muslims, you know, uh, decide to go out alongside with, you know, the, the minor. Again, the, the pagans from Quraysh were not that much. There were pagans, but they were really like, you know, they were a minority compared to the uh, Muslims and the new converts. So now on the side of of, of uh, Ta'if, the tribe of Thaqif, a new chieftain, he was a young chieftain, uh, their leader basically, a new leader. Uh, he basically commanded every man to bring his wife and children with him to the battlefield. Now, that was a very interesting command and the purpose was if you have your family behind you waiting basically behind you while you're fighting you will do whatever it takes to stay alive and protect them so basically it was a motivation tactic you know to like you know make them do whatever it takes but the elders of of Thaqif they thought this is crazy what you're doing doesn't make any sense they talked to that young chieftain and they said you're making a big mistake because they will be a liability that our families we will think about them we will be worried about them instead of worrying about the the the, the battle the fight you're not making any sense but of course he was a new chieftain he wanted to prove himself so he technically actually threatened if they don't follow his commands he's going to commit suicide it shows you, you know, how ridiculous uh, his mind was, and they ended up actually following him. They ended up; they didn't want to divide, you know, the leadership and and cause any controversy. So they said, "If that's what you think, and if you're insisting, all right, let's do it." Even though the elders and they were wise to think that, the elders did not uh, basically uh, agree to that. So anyway, the Muslims were around 12,000 men. 
And like we said, the pagan army was about 20,000 men. So on the way there, even though the Muslims were less, but the Muslims thought, we're a lot of people. And we're talking about the new converts. That's how they thought. The new converts, they were like, hmm, we're 12,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of warriors. That's a lot of men. We're going to win this thing. Don't worry about it. And of course, they started boasting. They started saying, oh, we don't care. Oh, we are way more skilled than they are. So 12,000 to 20,000, we'll be able to beat them. Don't worry about it. We're 12,000. We're a huge number. And the news of the boasting reached our Prophet and he got so irritated. And then he sent a messenger to that group of converts. And he basically told him, tell them to never say that again. Because there was a prophet who looked at his army and he felt pride and he boasted about the, the size of his army and how powerful his army was. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a disease which caused the army to be defeated against their enemies. Now the prophet's name was never mentioned in the hadith. So we don't know who is that prophet. Maybe he's not even one of the ones that we know. Because we know there's you know, a lot of prophets, thousands of prophets, right? But the prophet's name was never mentioned. So we don't know who it was. Was it someone that we actually know or it was someone that we never you know, heard of before? But that the moral of the story is, yeah, there was a prophet who boasted. And Allah to show that prophet that he was wrong and he shouldn't have done that caused that disease to basically hit his entire army and they lost the battle now that teaches us don't boast don't be arrogant for any reason don't be arrogant for any reason because victory comes from allah only does not come from anybody else does not come from your own preparation it does not come from your numbers victory in anything comes from allah and allah only you do your best allah wants you to do your best don't forget that. Don't think because it comes from Allah that you don't have to do the work. Allah wants you. You are demanded to do the work. But the results, because you could, how many people study hard and they, yet they still fail in the exam? Because of God knows what the reasons are. So you have to understand anything good comes from Allah and it's not from your own doing. You have to still do what you have to do. But that doesn't guarantee good results. Always put this in your mind. Humble yourself in front of Allah. Humble yourself. The new converts, now again, they're new converts, so it's fine. I mean, Allah will still teach them a lesson. You'll see in a, in a little bit. And Allah will reveal actually something in regarding this incident because they felt really proud in an unhealthy way. They felt very arrogant. So anyway, uh, so the Prophet basically told them that story and he said, don't ever do this again. So on the way to meet the pagan army, some in interesting incident takes place and actually there's there's a famous hadith regarding this incident very famous hadith the muslim army passed by a very big tree called the hanging tree that's the name of the tree literally it translates in arabic into the hanging tree now the people of Quraysh during paganism this is a while ago they used to go and celebrate around this tree and they would hang their weapons and their armors around it as a sign of good luck they kept doing this until they made an idol out of that tree. Okay? So that's the purpose of this hanging tree. 
and again hanging because they used to hang their weapons and armors on it. A new convert from Quraysh by the name of Abu Waqid, he asked the Prophet ﷺ, he came to the Prophet, now again he's a new convert, you have to understand that. So he comes to the Prophet ﷺ and he tells him, O Prophet of Allah, how about you assign a tree to the Muslims, to us the Muslims, to do the same, you know, purpose of that hanging tree, that on what? Basically make us a hanging tree like we used to have during, you know, uh, paganism. So the Prophet ﷺ responded and he said, SubhanAllah, all praise be to Allah. You are saying exactly what the children of Israel used to say to Moses. Assign us a God like them. What does that mean? What does that mean that the, 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 the Jews or the children of Israel asked Moses to assign a God for them or an idol for them like the other people? Who were the other people? What's the story? So briefly, we'll talk about this story. Because there's a lot to learn from. After Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them, the Jews, the children of Israel, from the Red Sea, remember, from Pharaoh, when Allah split the sea, this is a biblical story, and it's in Islam too. We like we believe in it 100%. It's mentioned. So, and uh, It's mentioned in the chapter of Baqarah in detail, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala splits the Red Sea open to save the children of Israel from uh, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh of Egypt. And after Allah saved them, now, a lot of people stop the story at them being saved and it's a happy ending. But what you guys don't know is something else happens. There's, of course, events took place because this is history. This is not just a you know, happy ending kind of book or a movie or a story. It's life. It's history. So something happened right after this. They, after they left the Red Sea, the, the, the children of Israel, they came across a nation that worshipped an idol as, an, as a god. So they asked Moses, hey, that looks so cool. And they could see their God. They could see their Lord. They can ask them for anything. So how about you assign us a God, an idol, like that nation? So Moses got so angry at them. And he said, you are, you're with a prophet of Allah. You are, and by the way, the children of Israel, was, they were obsessed with seeing Allah. They actually wanted to see Allah and they made Moses go to the mountain of Tur in Egypt. And Moses literally asked Allah, oh Allah, it's, I don't want to see you, but the children of Israel, my people want to see you. Is it possible? Again, out of innocence, he's asking, is it possible? Then Allah is there. Very, very, very famous incident that took place. So Allah said, look at this mountain that he's standing by. If the mountain could handle seeing me, they will. If the mountain can handle seeing me, they will. Then Allah reveals. Now we know that Allah is has a, there is a block between us and Allah called the hijab. There is a cover, a veil. Actually, to, the accurate term is a veil of light. Remember, we talked about this during the night of Isra and Maraj, the the night of ascension. Uh, uh, and basically, uh, the night journey and the ascension, the Prophet ﷺ said what when he described uh, uh, the, 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 the atmosphere or what he saw in the seventh heaven, he basically said there is a, a veil of light that blocks everyone from seeing Allah. Allah could see everyone, but no one can see Allah because of that veil of light. And that basically was a proof that the Prophet ﷺ never saw Allah, and the angels never saw Allah too. Not nobody saw Allah. They could talk to him, they can speak to him, but he is sitting behind a veil of light. 
And look what the Prophet said. We're talking, still talking about the night, the, 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 the night journey and the ascension, which we talked about before. The Prophet said what? If Allah would ever lift this veil in this life, not in the afterlife, not in the day of judgment, we're talking about this life. If he reveals or unveils himself, if he removes that veil, every creation, everything would be burned in this world, in this existence. Nothing can handle seeing Allah in this world. Our bodies were not made to handle seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everyone would burn. This is authentic hadith. Every single, not just humans, any creation would burn. Now on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will replace our bodies. We'll get to that when we get to that. We will still be us, but our bodies will be designed to handle everything. That's why people will be thrown into hellfire and they'll still be alive. And they will always be alive. They will be. They will live eternity. Some people, disbelievers, will live eternity in hellfire, even though their bodies will burn, will keep on burning, but they will never die. Same thing goes for the people of paradise. They'll enjoy everything in paradise, and they will never die. It goes both ways, right? So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Again, I want to go back to. I don't want to go on a, on a very you know a big tangent here. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is telling Moses, if the mountain that you're standing by can handle seeing me, they will be able to see me. Then Allah literally just uncovers a tiny bit of that of that veil. Just a tiny bit. He lifts that veil just a tiny bit and the mountain crumbles. The mountain crumbles and Moses gets shocked and he fainted right away. He could not handle, his body couldn't handle that tiny bit. And he went back to his people, and again, they were obsessed. They wanted to see who is God. And a lot of people, unfortunately, in today's world, they don't believe because they simply don't see Allah. Even though Allah sent the ultimate proof, actually a lot of proof for us to believe, but they're too arrogant. They want to see him, but Allah's not going to play our game. You want to see Allah, you have to believe first. Off the, You have to believe in his signs. Then, when the time comes, you will see Allah. Allah is not like us. He doesn't abide by our rules. You simply arrogant and I'm not going to worship you until I see you. Good. Don't worship me. This is Allah saying, don't worship me, but you have to bear the consequences in the hereafter. You're too arrogant, right? Because you're requesting to see someone. Requesting to see someone that makes you almost an equal. Oh, you want to talk to me? I need to see you face to face. This is not the way to address Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ultimate creator. This is not the way. Subhanallah. But some people, they feel too arrogant. Some people, you know. But anyway, so uh, the children of Israel, they were obsessed of seeing, oh, now they, look at this nation, the nation that they passed by after being saved, uh, you know, uh, from Pharaoh, from Pharaoh. They saw that they have an idol. They can see the idol. They can sit down with it and talk to it. So they said, just make us an idol like them. Now, the problem is, this is complete shirk. This is a complete disbelief. So Moses got irritated. And later on, Moses went for 40 days to talk to Allah. And he used to go to speak to Allah. So he go, went for 40 days to talk to Allah. He disappeared for 40 days to go talk to Allah uh, by the mountain of Tur. And while he was gone for those 40 days, they started worshipping a golden calf. Al-Ijl. It's mentioned in the chapter of Baqarah. 
Allah says, when Moses left to talk to me, you worshipped the golden calf instead of worshipping me and following his commands. And that's why the Jews think that they will only be punished for 40 days in hellfire because of that, because they worshipped the golden calf for 40 days. So they said, okay, Allah will punish us for 40 days and we will be out of hellfire and go into straight to paradise, which of course not the case unless they believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the right way and they believe in his final messenger. Now, so the Prophet is basically drawing a comparison between this incident and the new converts. And he's simply telling them, don't do that. Don't ask for idols, for statues, for anything, for trees, for whatever that will bring you good luck. Because good fortune, good results only come from Allah. We just said that. Anything good comes from Allah. It does not come from a statue or a picture or whatever, or like a medallion or like a chick. It doesn't come from that. It is forbidden to believe in lucky charms. We know this in Islam. You cannot believe in lucky charms. You can't believe in, you know, the evil eye. You know, some people have it in their homes to prevent uh, envy. That That's bogus. Allah is the only one who can protect you. You believe that some sort of idol, some sort of a, a piece of furniture or some sort, whatever, any item that's not related to Allah, you believe that this could protect you? You're committing something called minor shirk. The minor shirk is a major sin. Minor shirk is a major sin. What is shirk? We talked, we had a whole episode about shirk. Shirk is associating someone with Allah. So this is called the minor shirk. You're not trying to disbelieve in Allah, but you and you're not like worshiping idols. You're not worshiping these little things, but you think that they could protect you. This is called the minor shirk. It's a major sin, but it doesn't take you out of the fold of Islam. You're still a Muslim, but you're committing a major sin. Now the major shirk the actual shirk is to officially associate someone with Allah, like worshiping idols, uh, believing that Allah has a son, like Jesus Christ, uh, believing that Allah also in, in, in Jewish faith, uh, like Ezra, the, the, the son of, of, of God, or you know, uh, believing that Allah you know, has associates of any kind. This is complete disbelief. Minor shirk is not a complete disbelief. It is a major sin, yes. So we don't believe in any of these things. However... We believe in that Quran could save us, could help us heal sometimes, could bless, could bless our day. Why is this allowed? Because Quran is from Allah. It is not a separate entity from Allah. Allah spoke the Quran. The Quran is uh, the word of Allah. It's the book of Allah. It's what Allah spoke. And Allah gave us those words with the intention, with the purpose of protecting us, guiding us, you know, blessing our days. So Allah intended the Quran for us to, you know, uh, to do that. So it is not a sin to believe that when you read Quran, uh, when you feel distressed, or that Quran could protect us, reciting certain, you know, the reciting the the verse of, of of Kursi in the chapter of Baqarah could protect us from Shaitan and all these things, and uh, reciting certain verses could protect us throughout the day and all these things. That's what's the meaning of you know the morning athkar, the the evening athkar. It's all Quran and a dua. This is fine because it's coming from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. But believing in that items, certain items could protect us is completely uh, wrong and it's a major sin now 
let's go back with, uh, to our story. So after that, now the, the new convert now, uh, uh, you know, the, the, they basically learned that they shouldn't do that. And, and it was a, a good learning experience for the Prophet So anyway, the Muslims uh, reached the valley of Hunayn. So Hunayn is a name of a valley. Now we know. The valley of Hunayn, it's actually in very close to Al-Ta'if. It's a, a Thaqif territory. It's a territory close to Al-Ta'if, which of course gave the tribe of Thaqif, gave the pagan army an advantage because they know the land. They know the battlefield. And it basically helped them in the battle. So now, regarding those Muslims who are boasting, the Muslims who are boasting, oh, we're 12,000 people, we are, no one can destroy us, no one can beat us, whatever, because they thought, again, that their numbers uh, could save them. Not Allah, not that victory comes from Allah. No, 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 no. They thought that their numbers could save them, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals in the chapter of At-Tawbah, verse number 25, He said, When your quantity deceived you. He's talking to the Muslims now. The new converts. Even the new converts before the conquest of Mecca. Not just the people from Quraysh, by the way. There were a lot of new converts be- right before the conquest of Mecca. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, when your quantity on the day, Hunayn, Allah actually mentions the name of the battle. On the day of Hunayn, Allah calls it the day of Hunayn. When your quantity deceived you and made you feel arrogant and overconfident, that did not help you on that day. Allah basically is telling them, you were arrogant and you felt overconfident and you were boasting. And that won't help you when you do not recognize that victory only comes from Allah, not because of your quantity. So what happened? How were they you know, taught a lesson on how, what happened exactly that caused their initial defeat? Now, this is the opposite of Uhud. Uhud, it was an initial victory and then defeat. Technically defeat. It's not like a full defeat, but a defeat in, in, in somehow. Now, the battle of Hunayn is different, and we'll talk about that. Now, because the tribe of Thaqif knew the land very well, the pagan army was able to set a trap for the Muslims. And they actually indeed fell for it. What happened is they led the Muslims into a valley where there was a small group of, of the pagan army there, like a mini army again, as a deceiving tactic, at the end of that valley. So the Muslims charged against that army, thinking, all right, we're winning. Look at this army. It's, you know, we can we can take them. And then they fought this mini army, and that mini army pretended that they were defeated. They pretended that they were losing. So the rest of the Muslim army, the full Muslim army, came into that valley to basically seal the victory. To confirm that victory. Meanwhile, there were archers on top of the valley from both sides waiting for the whole Muslim army to enter the valley fully so they can shower them with their arrows. And that's exactly what happened. So now you guys can imagine how the trap was set, right? The Muslims saw a mini army, so they said, oh, we can take them. They charged against them. They fought them. And the army was losing. Again, technically, it makes sense. The small army against a big number of Muslims. Then the rest of the Muslim army, when they saw that the Muslims are winning, they said, let's go and make sure that it is over. 
once the entire Muslim army was inside the valley, and Allah did not warn them because their arrogance in the beginning. So they went inside the valley. All the Muslim army, once they went inside the valley, turns out there were archers on both uh, on top of the valley from both sides, and they started showering the Muslims with their arrows. And then the rest of the pagan army showed up from hiding. They were hiding. And they attacked the Muslims and they caused a great defeat. Initial defeat. They caused a great harm upon the Muslims and uh, you know a severe defeat. And of course, because of that, the Muslims retreated. They started fleeing the battlefield. Now we're talking about, again, the majority of the Muslims, by the way, at this point, the majority of the 12,000 were new converts, even from before the conquest of Mecca. Right? And when I say uh, being a new convert is not a demeaning term. It's just they don't have that strong faith yet. So they're willing to flee the battlefield. They are a little bit arrogant and they're boasting and whatever. They still have a lot to learn. And they will learn afterwards. Those new converts will become the pinnacle of the Muslims at the time, inshallah, afterwards, you know. So anyway, the Prophet, of course, and the elite of the companions did not flee. You know, the Ansar and the immigrants, none of them. They were just fighting. And the Prophet started shouting at the Muslims, now the ones who are fleeing. He kept he asked Al Abbas, Al Abbas, of course, the uncle of the Prophet, he was known to have a very subhanAllah loud voice. Incredibly loud voice. And he told them to say, I am the Prophet without a doubt. I am the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. Now, the Prophet was asking Al Abbas to say this out loud so they know it's coming from him because he is, again, the uncle of the Prophet and they all recognize him. Now, why did the Prophet combine these two things? Okay, we get it. I am the Prophet without a doubt. Well, of course he is. But why would he say, I'm the grandson of Abdul Muttalib? Again, because these were new converts who were fleeing. And to them, the concept of a religious motivation was not there yet. So for the Prophet to tell them, I am the Prophet, they know that he's the Prophet of Allah. Many of them at least. Some of them are not convinced. Some of them are not having a problem, you know, to deal with that. So because of that, the Prophet went and combined with it, I am the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. Because Abdul Muttalib, his, his, his grandfather, was a very very well-respected figure in Quraysh. Very well-respected. People respected him so much, Abdul Muttalib. So because of that, some of them, because of tribalism, it's all tribalism now, or mostly tribalism at least, they started saying, oh, okay. They started waking up. Oh, this is the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. He's leading us. And we cannot dishonor him. You know, some were attracted by I am the prophet without a doubt. That's why the Prophet combined both. And by the way, it is 100% allowed in Islam. Tribalism doesn't technically exist right now. But it is replaced with nationalism. And there is not nationalism, meaning I'm, I'm, I'm an American. I'm, uh, a Br- I'm British. I'm Australian, whatever. I'm, I'm Egyptian. Um, everybody's proud of their nationality. It, this is technically a form of, of, of tribalism. And it's okay as long as it does not contradict the religion. 
There's nothing wrong with, with, with using heritage and nationalism to entice people as long as it does not take away from the religion or if it's being used in an honest manner. Don't entice people to trick them or whatever. No. The Prophet was not true. He wanted them to fight. They, were, they had to fight with him. So he mentions this. It's not a manipulation at all. Actually, manipulation is, is forbidden in Islam. To manipulate people, period, is forbidden. So the Prophet was reminding them. He did not lie. I am the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. Because he knows the minds. He knows how they will process this. Right? So there's nothing wrong with a little bit of nationalism as long as it's not too proud in an unhealthy way or it does not contradict the religion. So anyway, so the 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 the, the, the while this was, was, was taking place and the Prophet was shouting, uh, a new convert by the name of Shayba, he was a new convert from Mecca. He had, now again, he's not, there's no faith yet in his heart. He had hatred towards the Prophet ﷺ because his father died in the battle of Uhud. His father, Shayba's father, died in the battle of Uhud. So he had pure hatred towards the Prophet ﷺ. So he saw that, that when he saw the Prophet ﷺ shouting and yelling at the, you know, the new converts to come back instead of fleeing and come join the army, he saw a chance to kill the Prophet ﷺ. Imagine. She's technically a Muslim, but there's no faith yet. So, uh, he wanted to get revenge. He wanted to kill the Prophet ﷺ, so he rode his horse towards the Prophet ﷺ. You know, he galloped his horse towards the Prophet ﷺ, and he held his spear. And he was about to throw it at the back. So the, now, the back of the Prophet ﷺ, he was shouting, but the Prophet ﷺ was giving Shaiba his back. So, Shaiba grabs his spear, and he's about to throw it at the back of the Prophet ﷺ, but all of a sudden and out of nowhere, a light appeared in front of him, blinded him completely, blinded him. He couldn't see anything. And it was so bright that it burned him, started burning his skin. And it was like covering all of his face that he started losing. He, he, he lost his mind. He started screaming out of pain and out of like he's not understanding what is happening. He started screaming so hard out of pain and fear and the Prophet ﷺ, of course, when he heard that scream, he looked back and he saw that that light that Shaiba saw as a light was a, an actual angel. The Prophet ﷺ saw the true form of the angel and the angel was basically attacking Shaiba. And the Prophet ﷺ realized when he saw the spear in Shaiba's hand that why would the angel attack Shaiba, who is technically, quote-unquote, a new convert, because Shaiba was trying to kill him. The Prophet ﷺ put one and one together and he realized Shaiba was trying to kill him. Look at this. So he made dua to Allah to clear the heart of Shaiba and guide him to Islam and save him from the angel who is attacking him right now to protect him basically. Can you imagine a man who's running with pure hatred to kill you? Seconds from killing you. Seconds away from killing you. And you're being protected? By Allah, and instead of you letting it be, letting it be, all the Prophet had to do was just to look back and keep calling the rest, and the angel would have dealt with Shaiba. He made dua to Allah, Oh Allah, guide Shaiba. Remove that hatred from his heart because hatred comes from Shaitan. Remove it from the devil, remove it from his heart. Guide him to Islam and save him right now. 
protect him from your own soldier, which is an angel. And immediately, the angel left. Shaiba, his burnt skin, everything recovered instantly. He recovered instantly. Then he stood up and looked at the Prophet ﷺ and Shaiba himself narrates, there was nothing more beloved to me in this world than the Prophet ﷺ. Look at the mercy of the Prophet ﷺ. Wallahi, it's something that's unbelievable. Unbelievable, subhanAllah. So, Shaiba when he's back to his senses, he joins the army, the Muslim army, with the people. Now, the people are going back to the Prophet ﷺ, to the location of the Prophet ﷺ. They're gathering together so they can, you know, uh, uh, launch an attack. So he joins the Muslim army. And after the Muslims came back, they heard the Prophet ﷺ, they understood. Everyone processed what the Prophet ﷺ said differently. Like we said, that's why he combined being a prophet and being a grandson of Abdul Muttalib. They all stood as one unit, one army, and they shouted, and they launched the attack against the pagan army. And this is when the Prophet ﷺ said, now the real battle begins. What happened before was a lesson for the Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ realized there was a lesson from Allah ﷻ to teach the Muslims. Humble yourself. Become one unit. Victory does not come from you, from your own preparation. Victory only comes from Allah. And while they were fleeing and they were panicking, because they were panicking, that's why they fled the battlefield, they realized, oh, the 12,000 men are not doing us any good right now. They realized it and they felt regretful. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned that initial defeat into a victory. Then the Prophet took some dust and basically he threw it in the direction of the pagan army and he said, may Allah cause your vanquish. And what happened is that the archers and the army of the pagan army lost their sight. They were blinded, actually, for quite some time, not for the rest of the battle. Again, Allah is aiding the Muslims. He's supporting them. He's not doing the battle for them. He's not fighting for them, right? But he's giving them critical, critical advantage. They were blinded, so basically the archers stopped. They couldn't, they were firing. They didn't know where to fire their arrows, right? They couldn't. So, uh, uh, and the Muslims, you know, because the, the rest of the army, the pagan army were confused. They, they couldn't see. They don't know what happened. So the Muslims were able to attack. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at this moment turned the hearts of the Muslims from a panicking mode to being calm, collected, and confident in Allah's victory. Now they know it's coming from Allah. And right after this, look at this beauty, Wallahi. Right after this, Allah sends again his angels as soldiers to attack the enemies of Islam. Again, we see here, it's like Badr now. Now it's like Badr. And it's the opposite of Uhud. Like we said, Uhud was an initial victory and they were not sincere. They thought, okay, the spose of war was everything. They disobeyed the Prophet ﷺ. We talked about this. So Allah turned that victory into defeat. And here, because they started by being arrogant... And they learned from that. That's the key here. During their fleeing the battlefield, the Muslims, they understood what they did wrong. And because they understood and they repented to Allah, Allah turned their defeat into a clear victory. And 
some of the companions literally reported that they saw uh, uh, um, they saw uh, sightings of the angels. Now, they didn't see the angels on their true form. Only the Prophet saw the angels, uh, can see the angels in their true form. But they saw certain things that basically were proved that these were the angels. For example, uh, 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 Jubair ibn Mut'im, he's one of the companions. He narrates, and some of other companions actually narrated, that they saw when the two armies clashed for the second time. Now, for the victory fight when the the pagan army was blinded but then again they still clashed right they were fighting they were like you know just doing whatever it takes when the two armies clashed a dark cloud just appeared from the sky came down into the battlefield and split into smaller clouds and it started attacking the enemy and immediately they all the companions realized oh these are the angels imagine a huge dark cloud appeared out of nowhere into the battlefield, came down into the battlefield. And once it came into the battlefield, it just, as if it exploded into many clouds, many dark clouds, and all these clouds started targeting the enemies, the pagan army, and they were able to defeat them. And of course, the Muslims were fight. And by that time, the, the, the pagan army regained their sight. Okay, they got the advantage, the Muslims got the advantage point. So now the, the pagan army can see again, except I think the archers never were never able to fire at the Muslims from above. But the pagan armies... Uh, uh, you know, the actual ground armies, the troops, basically, they were able to fight, but again, they were fighting angels alongside with the Muslims. So, you know, it was a no-brainer that the Muslims won. And the pagan army, the rest of the pagan army ended up retreating back to Ataif, and the Muslims followed them and ended up, you know, attacking the city of Ataif and laying siege to it. But they could not uh, enter Ta'if because again it was very well protected the walls were protected and all these things and Ta'if was known to be one of the well protected cities in Mecca then during this siege the Prophet saw a dead body of a woman from the Ta'if from Taqif from the and again and here's the problem that chieftain who told them hey guys let's bring women our women and children it was a big disaster because again the army was panicking what the elders predicted happened. The men were panicking when they saw the second attack and they were blinded. They started fearing and panicking because of their children and their women and they didn't know what to do and they went into panic mode. It, the, basically, it is, they, they switched places with the Muslims. The Muslims were panicking at first and then Allah gave them confidence and now they started panicking because of their own doing, because they brought their own family members and that also one of the reasons what caused their defeat. So the Prophet ﷺ sees a dead woman, one of the family members, one of the wives of someone. And he sees that she was killed and apparently she was killed by a Muslim. So the Prophet ﷺ gets so angry. And he literally addressed all the Muslims. Now, again, we're talking about the converts here. Don't forget that. The, the elite of the Muslims, they already knew these rules, which I'm about to state right now. But we're talking about the new converts, again, that they're still in learning process. They're still learning a lot about Islam, right? They've been Muslims probably for days only, few days. So the Prophet gathered all the new converts and he said, You shall never kill a woman, a child, an elderly in the battlefield, period. Anyone who does not belong, a servant, Anybody who does not belong 
to the army, to the everybody who's not a combatant, basically, who's not a soldier. You're not allowed to touch them. Fight only soldiers, those who want to kill you. Do not fight women. Do not fight children. Do not fight elderly. Do not fight servants, any weaklings, none of that. And that's the biggest proof that the Muslims have honor even during a declared war. During a battlefield where supposedly, quote-unquote, anything goes, nope, not anything goes for the Muslims. You must have honor. Only fight soldiers. Only fight soldiers. So for those extremists who attack innocent people, who attack you know, uh, unarmed men, civilians, they are not clearly following Islam. And they're not clearly following the sunnah of the Prophet It's as simple as that. For the Islamophobes who claim that those people who attack innocents and civilians are purely Muslims and doing it in the name of Islam, well, history proves otherwise. And Islam itself proves otherwise. So anyway, another uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, incident that took place uh, and that was a situation that happened during the spoils of war. Now, the Muslims won. They've taken the spoils of war. A couple of incidents actually took place. Number one, the Prophet Sallallahu uh, gave the new converts from Mecca lots and lots of spoils. Lots of things. And he did not give the immigrants nor the Ansar anything. Nor himself, of course, on top of that. Why? Why did he do that? Well, like we said, the new converts, they need some enticement. They need some enticement. They need, uh, they need something to make them feel good about being Muslims and participating in the battle with the Muslims. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's not manipulating them. It's just this, this is their how they think. This is how they deal with things. At least for now. Again, those new converts we're talking about, will be, they were the worst enemies of the Muslims. Don't forget that. Days ago, they were the worst enemies of the Muslims. They will need time to learn about Islam. And again, like I said, all these people, all the new converts, became elite afterwards. After a while, they became so much uh, in love with Islam. They were strong believers. Subhanallah. So anyway, that made the Ansar feel a little upset. That made them feel a little upset. Because again, it's their right to take again, it's they're they're not they're not wrong for feeling upset. It's their right. The spoils of war should be fairly and equally divided among the soldiers, right? But the Prophet did this for a good reason. And he gathered the Ansar after he heard that they were upset. And he started praising them. Again, remember this happened during the conquest of Mecca when they felt like he was not going to come back with them to Medina. Now he gathered them again. And he said, If the whole world went in one direction and you guys, talking about to the Ansar, went in the other direction, I will follow you and not the whole world. Number one. And he also told them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them what no money or nor spoils can match which is paradise and what not just paradise because inshallah when we do our you know what we're supposed to do us as regular muslims inshallah we'll get paradise 
But those were the Ansar, the highest level of paradise. Things that we can never imagine. So he's telling them, Allah giving you a better, he's keeping a better prize for you. Forget about the spoils of war. This worldly stuff, they can go home with it. The, the new Muslims, they need it. They need it. And they need it to strengthen their iman, to love Islam a little bit more until they rise to, to they fully realize what Islam is, then they won't need it anymore. And then he tell them that biggest phrase that caused them all to cry so badly. He said, aren't you happy that those new converts are going home with some sheep, camels, and money? And you are going home with the Prophet of Allah? Meaning, what else do you need? You have the Prophet of Allah on your side. And that caused them to start crying and they apologized for being upset. And they said, oh, forgive us, O oh, oh, Prophet of Allah. And indeed, you know, they, they were forgiven. Again, it was completely understood. And uh, that ended this kind of incident. Now, it is very, and I know I said this before, but I have to emphasize this. The Prophet ﷺ did not put a single penny in his pocket. He gave everything to the new converts, whether they were from Quraysh or before. Anyone who needed some motivation to become a better Muslim or to, you know, uh, have more feelings towards Islam, the Prophet gave him, gave him valleys of sheeps. Can you imagine this? Like, uh, uh, there was an incident, one, one, like a lot of them actually said, you must be the true prophet of Allah. After they were given tons of things, Why? They literally said there is no normal human being would give up all of this money to the people without having a share for himself unless that person is a true prophet of Allah. Think about it logically. You have tremendous amount of wealth. Like in our time, this would be like millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And you're giving it all away. To the people who are just converted to Islam. And you have no, you did not take a single penny of those millions and millions of dollars. You're not a normal human being if you do that. You're not. And by the way, you're not taking money while you are, you are in need of money. The Prophet was not wealthy at the time. He did, he did need the money. Yet, he didn't put a single penny in his pocket. Why? Because he's a prophet of Allah. He doesn't care about money. He doesn't care about the spoils of war. Also, another interesting uh, you know, uh, incident took place uh, that a man from the Bedouin, knowing to be harsh, the Bedouin are harsh, uh, uh, he came to, him, to the Prophet and he literally told him in a very sharp tone, be fair when you are dividing the money. Why did the man say this? Because he simply was not satisfied with what he was given. He wanted more. He was greedy. So the guy's like, I'm not satisfied with this. Be fair. So the Prophet got very irritated and he said, you do not trust me when the one in the heavens does. Meaning, who are you to call me that I'm unfair? Then, of course, the man left. He walked away. He was very vulgar. And by the way, the anger and the irritation of the Prophet was not personal at all. Not because he attacked his person. No, 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 no. Let me tell you why the Prophet got angry. Because number one, Allah trusts him. And a human being doesn't. This is basically uh, 
a type of disbelief. This is a type of disbelief. When you are challenging the status of the Prophet ﷺ, it becomes a theological issue, not a personal issue. Because the, Allah subhanahu wa told us, Allah, Rasul. He told us to obey the Prophet ﷺ and never challenge him. This is in the Quran, by the way. So, and this is why the Prophet got irritated. This is in the Quran and you're disobeying Allah. Direct command from Allah. In the presence of a Prophet. Then it becomes a theological issue. It becomes an act of disbelief at this at this point. And then the Prophet said this famous hadith that unfortunately we relate to today, which he said that in the future, talking about our days and the you know the days before and the days to come, in the future, people like him, like this man who walked away, will be reciting the Quran and not feeling anything, nor wanting to understand it. And you would think that they are great Muslims. You would be fooled, basically. But they will leave Islam as fast as an arrow leaves the bow when it's shot. They basically are called the ultra-fanatics. The people who think that they are better than the Prophet ﷺ. Judging our Prophet ﷺ when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had trusted him. Can you imagine this? So, again... And we relate, and I'm going to end with this inshallah, we relate to this so much today because some people, when they study Islam, they just find themselves not agreeing with the Prophet on many things because they think their intellect is better. And the Prophet this is a crazy hadith, wallahi, because it applies. I've actually know personally people who left Islam because of this. They were not like, oh, why would he do that? Why would he do that? No, it doesn't make sense. And they left Islam. Unfortunately, I tried my best, but may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide them to the right path. This is why this hadith is insane to me and mind-blowing because wallahi, I feel it in this world today with a lot of people. Alhamdulillah, not the majority at all. Actually, the majority are people embracing the beauty of Islam. But some people, they leave because they think they're too smart. They're They're more intellectual than the religion. Subhanallah, which is mind-boggling. And this is when the Prophet said, those people, you would think they are good Muslims. You would think they will fool you. They're not feeling anything when they read the Quran. They don't want to understand it. Some people, by the way, and don't get me wrong, some people don't feel anything and they're not like that. They're not ultra fanatics. Uh, but what's the difference? Though Those people that I'm talking about, the good people who are not feeling anything, they want to feel something. And I had so many people actually emailing me and we had an episode, a full episode about this telling me that when they uh, you know, pray, on the, 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 they recite Quran, they don't feel anything and they want to fix that. Those are sincere people. But the Prophet, look what the Prophet said. They don't feel anything when they pray or recite Quran, nor they want to understand it or feel anything. They don't want to. They don't want to. They only want to judge the Prophet to judge the Muslims back in the day. And again, we have a lot of them who are sympathizing to Islamophobes today when they talk about the attitudes of the Muslims back in the day and they criticize the Muslims. And the Prophet said those people will leave Islam so fast, as fast as, you know, when you hold your bow and arrow, when you see in the movies, as fast as the arrow leaving the bow when it's shot. So fast, basically. You know, in our times, as soon as a bullet leaves the gun when it's shot, same thing. They will leave Islam so fast. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and not make us from them 
uh, and make us even uh, stronger in our faith and guide those who the Prophet uh, mentioned uh, eventually to Islam. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.